If you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 10. Chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is a New Testament in the chair rack in front of you that you are welcome to. You'll find our text on page number 101, page 101. While I was preparing, uh, I didn't necessarily play on this, but I like the fact that our text is on page 101 in the New Testament that people can take today that they can give away because if you're in college and you take a class and it say it's biology and it's biology 101 or say you're new at a job and uh, it's, it's a job at a factory and you come in the first day and the guys are going to teach you this factory 101. What, you're say, what they're saying is you're going to get the basics. You're going to get the very foundational information that you're going to need to be able to continue on either in this class and in other classes related to biology or in other jobs. And really, that's what this morning is going to be all about. It's going to be about getting to the basics, getting right to the foundation, to the very heart of what this church is about, what the Bible is about, what Christianity itself is all about. And what we want to see uh, is something that we've seen several weeks ago, but we really want to see it again this morning, particularly on Easter, and that's this. Everything is about Jesus. This church uh, is and should be about Jesus because the Bible is about Jesus. Christianity is all about Jesus Christ. And this morning I want to convince you that because that is true, your life needs to be about Jesus as well. It's very easy today to make our lives about all kinds of other things uh, besides Jesus, besides God. We can, we can orient our lives all around our jobs or all around our family, all around getting our education or around the kind of sports we like or the, how much money we make. There's all kinds of things that we can orient our life around. But God is clear in the Bible that everything is about Jesus. And that means then that our lives need to be about Jesus too. In fact, in Acts chapter 10, that's the message that we see uh, Peter giving to a man in all his household. Peter was, of course, one of Jesus' friends and one of his apostles. And in Acts 10, God has sent Peter to go tell a Roman centurion and his family how they can be right with God. And this centurion, whose name was Cornelius, was seeking after God, but frankly, he didn't know what he was doing. He was doing the best with the information that he had, but he didn't have the complete picture. He didn't have Jesus, and therefore it wasn't enough. Even though he had good intentions, even though he was doing all that he could, it still was not enough to get him to God. And so Peter was sent to tell this man how he could know God. And what we see to Peter saying is this. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or where you live or what you've done in the past. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. It's all about him. And so this morning, that's what we want to see as we look from our text this morning in Acts chapter 10. I'd like us to uh, look at that now as I read it. I would encourage you to follow along as I begin at verse 34. Peter opened his mouth and said this, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, proclaiming good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. 
They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And after he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now from these verses we want to see three reasons why everything is about Jesus. Why it's through Jesus alone that we can come to know God and be acceptable to him. First, we need to see from this text that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise and plan. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises and his plan. And this is how Jesus be, or Peter begins explaining this text, that he came in fulfillment of very specific promises that God had made uh, over the course of his dealings with uh, uh, this world, and particularly the people of Israel. Jesus' life and ministry ultimately was the culmination of God's plan for his people, specifically the promise of the long-awaited Messiah. Now, Messiah is just the Hebrew word for Christ. And so what we understand is that Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's his title. It means anointed one. And at various times, in many ways, God promised Israel, his people, that he would send them a Messiah. The Messiah who would be their king. In fact, he would be the perfect king, bringing perfect justice and perfect leadership for the people. And after many years of, frankly, bad leadership, of wicked leadership, of ungodly and unjust leadership, the people were eagerly longing for this Messiah. They wanted him to come. They were expecting him. They were excited about him. They were, in fact, worn out waiting for him. Even then, the promise of Messiah goes back even farther than the nation of Israel. In fact, in the very opening chapters of the Bible, we see God creating uh, the very first people, a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. They were created by God in his image, given everything they could possibly imagine, including fellowship with God himself, and yet they rebelled against that. And in their rebellion, in their sin, all of humanity now has been separated by God because of that sin. Yet even in the midst of that very first sin, even in the midst of pronouncing a curse upon all of humanity because of the sin of those first two parents, God promised a Messiah. Not the, the kind of Messiah that Israel was certainly looking for, but he very specifically promised that one day from, uh, from humanity would come a son who would not be like any other son. And in this son's ministry and his leadership, he would destroy evil and make it possible for sinful humanity to again have a right relationship with a holy God. And over the decades and centuries, as God kept telling people what this Messiah would like, then more and more pieces of the puzzle began to fit together. A more clear picture of what the Messiah was to be came together. In fact, we see this all throughout the Old Testament. These hints, these promises, sometimes very big and large pictures of who Messiah was to be. So much so that really all of the Old Testament can be seen as being strung together, being held together by this continual line of promise about the coming Messiah. And now Peter says it is to Jesus that all the prophets bear witness. That is to say that all of these promises of Messiah, all of these predictions, all of these promises of God coming to redeem and save humanity, God fulfilled all of those promises through this one Jesus Christ. 
And Peter explains how Jesus served those around him, proving he was the Messiah. He says in verse 36, For the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. How could Jesus do all these things? How could a man minister with God's power? How did he, uh, how did he heal people? How did he send demons away from, from people that were being afflicted by him? Well, Peter here specifically says that God was with him. But the totality of the Bible says that's true. But it's more than that as well. And it's more than just that God was with him. I don't know if many of you have seen uh, this new show that's, that's been on uh, the last couple weeks. It's called Undercover Boss, and uh, uh, many of you know that, that when I was in seminary, we lived in Louisville, Kentucky, and so I kind of got what the, what the show was about from the previews. You know, it's pretty obvious. It's the working out that's interesting of, of this thing, and they were showing the chief financial officer of the Churchill Downs racetrack uh, were, was going to be one of the people participating in this uh, in this show. And, of course, Churchill Downs is in Louisville. Uh, you know, they, um, for those that actually lived in Louisville, the, the, the day of the big race was kind of murder because you couldn't get anywhere. There were visitors all in there, so you just kind of stayed home and watched a movie or something. So this was interesting to us. Okay, Churchill Downs, we have a connection here. What is this going to be like? And very much just as the show uh, promised, you have this guy who uh, wields incredible power in this uh, organization. And yet he stops shaving for a couple of days. He takes uh, a room at this dive hotel close to the racetrack. And he goes out just in everyday clothes, gets hired on this job, telling people that um, uh, he's basically switching positions. And the camera is following him around as part of a documentary showing people who have to change jobs. doesn't tell anybody who he really is. Uh, and so what you have is one of the most powerful men of this organization mingling with some of the, um, the, the least powerful, the people that have no say, the people that are cleaning the stables out, the, the people who are helping the jockeys get ready to run the races, uh, people that are of no importance in the eyes of those in the boardrooms. Now, at no time did this guy stop being the chief financial officer of the company. He simply hid it in an unfamiliar appearance. Likewise, there's a sense in which that's a pretty good picture of Jesus Christ. That's a pretty good picture of what he came to do because the New Testament is clear. Jesus was more than just a man whom God was with. He was God in the flesh. Another one of Jesus' friends and apostles, the Apostle John, in the opening of his, uh, his gospel, the gospel of John, he says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Likewise, the Apostle Paul will say in Philippians 2, Though Christ was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled Himself even by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In very practical and very powerful ways, like feeding thousands of people at one time, raging, calming storms at sea, healing people from blindness and affliction, showing mercy to repentant sinners, Jesus came and demonstrated He was not just the Messiah, but He was God in the flesh. He was the fulfillment of all God's promises for sending the Savior because He Himself was God. He was God the Son. 
And therefore, he was able perfectly to fulfill all of the promises and all of the plans that God had. Everything that God promised and planned was fulfilled in Jesus. That's why it's all about him. But more than that, secondly, we see that everything is about Jesus because Jesus Christ is the Savior of all humanity. Jesus Christ is the Savior of all humanity. As you talk to people on the street today, there are some people who, who like Jesus. There are some people who, if you would say, what do you think about Jesus? Uh, the first response you would get would be something along the lines of, oh, I think he's okay, but I don't like his people. I think Jesus is okay, but I don't like his church. You even find uh, today, if you just do a, a, a Google search or go into a store, you can find all kind of Jesus stuff out there. Not even the Christian books I'm talking about, but you will find in places like uh, Target and Walmart and Hot Topic in the mall, you will find shirts that say something like, Jesus is my homeboy. And in fact, if you are at all aware of what's going on in the entertainment world, you know that for several years, some very famous people have actually walked around town doing grocery shopping with that on. People like Brad Pitt and Madonna and Ashton Kutcher and even Pamela Anderson. Now, I have a feeling that uh, the reason why they think Jesus is so so cool is because they don't really know him. I have a feeling they can wear the Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt because they don't really know who Jesus is. They've never read what he taught about. They never saw what his life was about in the New Testament. Instead, they simply believe the popular myth that the Jesus preached by the church was not the hip Jesus that really lived. They may believe he was a great guy, a great moral, religious teacher, a philosopher of some kind who simply taught people to love one another, but no more than that. I think a lot of people believe that today. Along with them, unfortunately, the Bible doesn't give us that option. Yes, Jesus was a teacher, giving the very wisdom of God to people. Jesus did tell people that they should love one another in fulfillment of God's law and setting the example for that teaching himself by loving even the most unlovable of people in his day. But Jesus did not just come to love. He did not just come to teach. He came ultimately to give up his life as a savior for sinners. In fact, he came to be the only savior for sinners. Notice what Peter says in verse 39. He talked about Jesus' earthly ministry. And then he says of all, all of that ministry came to an end when they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Now, he doesn't just say they killed him. Or he doesn't even just say that they crucified him. Peter very specifically says they put him to death on a tree. Now what does he mean by this? Well, he's not denying that Jesus was crucified. He doesn't want you to get the, the impression of this massive uh, you know, firm or this elm or whatever tree they have in Israel and Jesus strung up on it. No. At its simplest, what is a cross made of? Wood. Where does wood come from? A tree. And so Peter's not saying he didn't die on a cross, but what he is saying uh, very specifically is that in a real way he died hanging on a tree. And by saying that... Peter is making a specific point. You see, in God's sovereign providence and his working things out uh, in history, God ensured that Jesus was executed by the Romans and the Jewish leaders through crucifixion because they are hanging on a tree, as it were. It said something about what Jesus' death was accomplishing. You see, under the Old Testament law, God tells his people in Deuteronomy chapter 21, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You see, because Jesus was God in the flesh, he was perfect. He was without sin. He never did anything wrong. And yet, and yet by willingly going to the cross, he willingly put himself under a curse for his people. Why? Because he was bearing their curse for them. So in Galatians chapter 3, Paul says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
Later, Peter himself would write another letter to the Christians, 1 Peter. And here's what he would say. Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Many of you have probably either read the book or saw the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in that movie, the Lion King Aslan willingly offers his life to, uh, to the, the, the wicked queen in place of the traitor Edmund. The traitor Edmund deserves death. He deserves to be tortured by the queen. And yet uh, Aslan t- willingly takes his place. He takes what the boy deserves in a similar way. Jesus takes our sin upon himself. He dies, not just for one person though, or even not just one group of people, Israel. Instead, he dies for people from all over the world. He stands in the place of countless sinners so that they can be saved from God's judgment upon their sin. So Jesus was not simply a good teacher. He was a savior. Jesus offered himself as an atoning sacrifice. That is, he took the punishment we deserve for our sins, fully satisfying God's wrath against us so that we might have forgiveness and life. This is why in verse 43, uh, Peter says, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Jesus came to be a savior. He came to be the only savior, the only way by which sinful people can be made right with God. This is why everything is about Jesus. Lastly, we see this. Everything is about Jesus because Jesus is uh, the risen Lord over all things. Jesus Christ is the risen Lord over all things. Again, look at verse 39. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Then look at the rest of it. God raised him on the third day. You know, in many ways, because today is Easter, this is the import, most important day of, uh, of the church calendar. This is the most important day for God's people to come together to worship and celebrate. Now, we just said Jesus died as a Savior. So you may be thinking, well, wouldn't, wouldn't the day of his death, wouldn't Good Friday, the day where he offered his life for sins, wouldn't that be the most important? Well, in some sense, we certainly uh, have to take it as a package deal. Because the, the, the resurrection, Easter, assumes the cross. But here's the thing. You can have the cross, not have Easter, and the whole thing's meaningless. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, if you have the cross, but you don't have Easter, if you don't have the resurrection Jesus raised back to life, he says all of Christianity is bunk. He says it's all meaningless. He says we are to be pitied more than any other group of people in the world if we believe Christ did not raise from the dead. And you think about that even in our culture today, Easter kind of separates, as it were, the religious men from the boys. You know, Easter is not an official holiday on the U.S. calendar. Christmas is. Why? Because Christmas is easy to celebrate, isn't it? I mean, you just think about popularly, what is Christmas about? Well, it's about love and goodwill and peace on earth towards men. And how did we get that? Well, it's, it's, it's uh, encapsulated, it's, it's symbolized in this little precious baby who was born as a gift to humanity and all the wise men are bringing gifts and everything's hugs and kisses and warm feelings and family. I mean, anybody can celebrate that, right? I mean, that's, that's nothing. Still, people could go even further and celebrate Good Friday. They could look again like a Pamela Anderson or a Brad Pitt or the guy down the street who says, Jesus was just a good teacher. And wasn't it, wasn't it so sad that people didn't understand that he was coming to say they love one another and they killed him instead. And he died like, like any good martyr uh, would die, like a Martin Luther King Jr. or a Gandhi who was trying to promote love and was simply killed for it. Some people could even celebrate Good Friday that way. But no one can celebrate Easter religiously unless they understand Jesus is the risen Lord. You know, it's more than just chocolate eggs. 
It is chocolate eggs, but it's chocolate eggs and Jesus risen. That's ultimately what it's about. It's about Jesus rising from the dead. It separates, Easter does, those who are playing games and those who are trying to be genuine followers of Jesus. It separates the Christian from the non-Christian. Ultimately, the Bible says it separates those who are damned to hell and those who have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Because Easter says Jesus wasn't just a good guy. He was the Savior of the world. And He wasn't just a man. He was God in the flesh. That yes, the cross was a historical event and the resurrection was was a historical event. And so the one who died for sins on the tree was the Lord of all things. He was the Lord of all creation. And now being raised back up, he is again the Lord of all things. Peter says, Christ is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. At the end of all things, when you stand before God, guess who's going to be there to judge you? It's Jesus Christ. And the judgment is not going to be how good of a life did you live or how bad of a life did you did or, or how did you waste the time you were given or how did you use the time you were given. It's going to be one thing or one thing only. Did you love me in this life? Did you love me so much that you trusted your life to me? That you looked to me to be your Savior? That you followed me as the risen Lord? That's what it's going to come down to. And he will determine who spends eternity with God or eternity in hell. Christ is risen from the dead and therefore the Bible says he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. The fact that all authority has been given to Christ means that God has vindicated him. Despite the fact that he came and he preached and he tried to explain to people who he was and they killed him anyway. They did not believe who he was and they, they shung him up and rejected him. Nevertheless, God proved that he was who he said he was. That his death was acceptable as the perfect sacrifice for sins. The resurrection was God's stamp of approval on all that Christ did for his people. And now through the resurrection, God has exalted him to a place of authority over all things. Earlier we heard from Philippians 2 about Jesus being the one, uh, being God who took on flesh. Listen to the rest of what Paul says. Though Christ was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is who Jesus is. I've had the unfortunate opportunity on a couple of occasions to be in a courtroom when someone I know or someone related to a family member, a loved one, has stood before a judge. And even if you've not been before a judge in court before, you've not been in that scene, I'm almost positive all of you have seen a movie or a television show at some point that takes place in a courtroom. And there you will know, it doesn't matter uh, what your position is in life, from the lowest to the largest, it could be the President of the United States for that matter. When you are in that courtroom, there is one person who is in charge, that's the judge. And everyone doesn't just call him, uh, uh, hey Joe, hey friend, hey brother, what do you call him? Your honor. And if you don't, you can even be found in contempt of court. Just for not using the right, the right title of homage to the judge and thrown in jail for that. Likewise. You may think, I'm not in the courtroom, the judge is not over, it has no authority over me now. I don't, not responsible to anyone. But God says it's not just true, it's just not true. Not just at the end of life, but even now, 
this world, this life, your life, God says it is all about Jesus because he stands at the center of all that God has been doing in this world, giving his word, making promises to his people, working to achieve salvation for sinners. And Jesus stands now as the resurrected king, as the Lord of all things. Whether you acknowledge it or not, he is the risen Lord, both now and on the day of final judgment. He is the one to whom you will give an account. And so in light of these things, what do we do? How, how do we live? How should our life be different? Because Jesus is at the center of all things. Because he's the fulfillment of all that God is doing. Because he's the savior of all people. And because he is the resurrected living Lord. How should our lives be different? Simply this, you should love and trust Jesus. God says you cannot come to me unless you go through my son. It doesn't matter what you do or how much money you have or, or anything. The only way that you can be made right to me. The only way you can escape judgment for your sins is to look to Jesus in faith. Trust him to be your savior. At the very beginning of our passage, Peter said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. What is acceptable and right? Well, again, verse 44 tells us it's believing in the name of Jesus. And again, this morning, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what ethnic background you have or how much money you make or how bad of a person you've been. This is for you. This is for you. If you want to be acceptable to God, if you want to have your sins forgiven, if you want to escape God's wrath against ungodliness and sin, if you want God to be for you and not against you, if you want God to be at work changing your life, then you have to turn away from your sin and turn towards Jesus, believing that he did die as your Savior and was raised back to life as your King. It's in his name that we want to go and pray to God the Father now. Lord, as we come before you, we are thankful for Jesus who came and offered his life for us. We're thankful for Jesus who came obedient to all that you had set forward, all that you had planned, all that you desired to do so that he might offer his life for the sake of sinners. Father, we come now thankful that he is not a dead Savior but a risen King. That God, having died, having his body placed in the grave, that God, you gave his life back to him, that you raised him back up on that very first Easter Sunday. as a sign that he truly was the Son of God. As a guarantee, as a promise, that when we trust in him, we also would have new life with you. Father, we pray both here and in all of our services, if there is anyone who does not know Christ, they will come to faith in him today. Father, for those of us that do know Christ, God, help us to remember who he is. Help us, God, to continually live by faith in him, continually submitting to his lordship over our lives. Father, everything is about him, and so it's in his name that we pray. Amen.